The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Schizophrenia Community Radio. By listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio, you'll be joining, supporting, and gaining strength from the schizophrenia community. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 12 of Schizophrenia Community Radio. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is Towards a National Policy on Autonomy and the Treatment of Schizophrenia. Autonomy for the individual means liberty to follow one's will. Autonomy in healthcare enables individuals to decide whether or not to accept medical advice or treatment. Autonomy in making healthcare decisions in the Canadian province of Ontario is conferred on individuals the very day they turn 18. From then on, the individual normally becomes autonomous in making healthcare decisions. Autonomy creates challenges in schizophrenia because Schizophrenia may severely impair or destroy an individual's ability to make reasonable or even any decisions. Autonomy's policy-related challenges, what I mean by that is the problems that autonomy creates for administration include factors such as 70% of mental health problems begin during childhood or adolescence. Children and adolescents age 18 to 24 are more likely to experience mental illnesses or substance abuse than any other age groups. Serious mental illnesses at age 18, such as schizophrenia, may be sending early warning signals that are insufficiently clear for accurate diagnosis. Children and adolescents are at risk of dropping out of mental health care, and that's a real risk. So the arbitrary imposition of autonomy at age 18 presupposes that serious mental illnesses abruptly transition their clinical courses from childhood to adulthood. In other words, get to the age of 18 and instantly so there's a change in the clinical course of the illness. That's plainly false. Um, imposition, arbitrary imposition of autonomy at age 18 fragments care, even though continuity of care is considered essential. Now, all of this is and more is why our topic towards a national policy on autonomy and the treatment of schizophrenia is so important for the schizophrenia community and the mental health community generally. Now, to discuss it, our guests are Dr. Chris Somerville and lawyer Marnie Supkoff. Chris is CEO of the Schizophrenia Society of Canada and Executive Director of the Manitoba Schizophrenia Society. He serves on numerous boards and committees, 
With an earned doctorate, he is certified with the International Association of Psychosocial Rehabilitation Services as a psychosocial rehabilitation practitioner and as an intervention trainer with Living Works. As a family member and a recipient of psychiatric services, he sees mental illness as an issue in social justice as well as health. Marnie is executive director of the Canadian Constitution Foundation, a registered charity that defends the constitutional rights and freedoms of Canadians in the courts of law and public opinion. She graduated Phi Beta Kappa from Johns Hopkins University in 1997. She received her law degree from Stanford University in 2000 and worked as a lawyer with the Institute for Justice. She returned to her birthplace, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, as a national newspaper columnist and editor for the National Post. So my first question is for Chris. Please tell us more about your work as the CEO of the Schizophrenia Society of Canada. Chris? Dr. Athlete, it's been an exciting nine years that I've been the CEO of the Schizophrenia Society of Canada and 20 years or, or more, really, with, as executive director of the Manitoba Schizophrenia Society. And the first thing that I would want to say to our listeners today is that I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a physician, I'm not an ethicist, although I've served on a number of ethics committees. So I'm going to be very careful not to play uh, those roles of lawyer, physician, or ethicist. But nonetheless, I am a family member. Seven of my mother's seven children had severe mental health problems or and mental illnesses like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and we had two suicides in our family. But as to my role as CEO of the Schizophrenia Society of Canada, I, I believe that I could be described as a leader, administrator, certainly an advocate and an activist, as well as a practitioner. So I, I regularly do meet with people who have schizophrenia, who live with it, and family members. Sometimes I run support groups just to stay grounded as to what the issues are. I'd, I'd like to say at the onset that there's no consensus amongst consumers that is, people with living with mental illness, schizophrenia particularly, or even family members around issues of involuntary commitment, involuntary treatment, community treatment orders, and uh, PAC teams, uh, programs for assertive community treatment. Right. Now, Marnie, please tell us about your work as Executive Director of the Canadian Constitution Foundation. Marnie? Sure. Uh, well, the Canadian Constitution Foundation is a registered charity, and its mission is to protect the constitutional freedoms of Canadians. We do that through education and communication and litigation. And as you can imagine, a lot of the constitutional freedoms that we're, we're talking about and that, that we're working so hard to protect do have to do with individual autonomy. Um, in our case, we're usually trying to make sure that government isn't interfering with that autonomy and that individuals are able to control their own destinies as free and responsible members of society. Um, though, of course, in the context of our discussion today, I think it's probably 
bears noting um, that, that certainly we, we do understand that not everybody is going to be able to be a free and responsible member of society depending on what the particular circumstances might happen to be um, at, at any given time in terms of, in terms of uh, mental health challenges that they're dealing with. Um, but the ultimate goal would be to allow everybody the, the maximum autonomy possible so that they could, could still remain in control of their own lives. Right. Chris, please tell us about the services the, the Schizophrenia Society of Canada provides to individuals and family caregivers concerned about their experiences in mental health care systems. Chris? Well, this would be a, one example to the Schizophrenia Community Radio, and, and that is providing an opportunity for, for those who are affected by schizophrenia in any way, or mental illness, actually, to educate themselves about the broad range of issues uh, concerning tr treatment and caregiving as well as legal aspects and ethical aspects of autonomy, which we're discussing today. At a national level, uh, primarily I'm an advocate in terms of the federal government, talking with um, ministers of parliament and departments of government about how we can provide the best of mental health services to Canadians uh, who are experiencing uh, severe, persistent, or enduring mental illnesses such as schizophrenia. At a provincial level, we have 10 schizophrenia societies, and they are the ones who actually do the groundwork. Uh, our mission is to improve the lives of those affected by schizophrenia and psychosis. So at the provincial level, they will do one-on-one -on -one consultation, peer support, as well as family support groups, workshops, public awareness, advocacy at a provincial level, and then we all support research. Right. Marnie, same question, but please tell us about the services that the Canadian Constitution Foundation provides to individuals and families concerned that their rights and freedoms have been violated by government. Marnie? Well, one of the things we do is we do pro bono litigation, which means that we will we will often support the case of an individual whose rights are being infringed by government, and we will help them uh, with a court case. We will either <clears throat> serve as their in-house lawyers, or we will make sure that we can find another lawyer um, that we can we can put on the case to to help work with them. And the other thing that we try to do is help in general to educate both law students, lawyers who are going to be going into any sorts of line of, of work in the law to make sure that they understand uh, how constitutional freedoms actually affect individuals and families, but then also give a chance to the general public, to anybody out there to learn more about what the constitutional freedoms they have are, um, what it might look like if, if government is going too far and isn't being held accountable, um, so that even though we as an organization can only take on a limited number of cases in court, we're hoping that we can, in, in, in a certain sense, deputize um, all Canadians to be looking out for their their own their own rights and making sure that they hold government to account as well. All right. Can I just ask you quickly to give us an example of the kind of service that you've delivered recently that would um, bring something of a story to the question of rights and freedoms and how you protect them? Oh, sure. Well, we, we actually had a recent case, um, which I think is a good example because it involves an individual and his story, but it also really has effects on the entire country and all Canadians. 
Um, and that's, um, Gordon, you and I were talking about it a bit just before we went on air. And it's a, it's a, a, a retiree named Gerard Como who is out there. Um, he, he's from New Brunswick, and he, he like most New Brunswickers, uh, does a lot of his shopping for alcohol in Quebec, where prices are about half what they are in New Brunswick. So he was doing this at one point and, and had uh, a shipment um a shipment probably isn't the right word. He bought some alcohol for his own use uh, for him and his wife, put it in the truck of his car, drove home, and then was pulled over by uh, the RCMP. So this was the case where we thought the law was unfair, and we also think the law is unconstitutional, since we actually do have a constitutional provision that is very clear about protecting free trade between the provinces. And so we've been helping Gerard uh, fight these char- fight the charges and fight the case. And uh, if he wins, the great thing for Gerard is is simply that that he doesn't have to pay his fine. The great thing for all of us as Canadians is that it really could have a huge impact on the price we pay for all kinds of goods that currently get held up between provinces. Everything from be- from beer to wine to milk to cheese to eggs. Um, there's so many provincial trade barriers that could be affected if if we're able to actually strike a blow for free trade. Right. Now, we've reached the time um, where we have to take a short break. As I always say, this is where we pay the rent. This is Dr. Gordon Adley, and my guests are Dr. Chris Somerville and lawyer Marnie Sukkov. You're listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace to speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any suggestions, questions, or comments you'd like to share with him, please send them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's doc, letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Now back to Schizophrenia Community Radio. 
Welcome back to our listeners to Schizophrenia Community Radio and Dr. Chris Somerville and lawyer Marnie Soupkoff. Our topic is Towards a National Policy on Autonomy and the Treatment of Schizophrenia. Now, both of you, let's talk about impairment of decision making that occurs in schizophrenia and also occurs in the wider world of individual Canadians and their families and the challenges that are created by these occurrences. So, Chris, you first. Please highlight for us the ways in which impairment of decision making occurs in the lives of individuals living with schizophrenia. Chris? Well, it's a very important question to be asked, and the reality is, unfortunately, that there will be a certain percentage of people with schizophrenia, severe and persistent um, schizophrenia, who at some point or possibly every point do not have clarity of insight. In other words, we speak of it as lack of insight. The technical term is anosognosia. And that means that the person basically is not deemed competent or or has capacity in terms of decision-making. Now, I would want to encourage our listeners today not to stereotype and stigmatize everyone with schizophrenia as having lack of insight, that they're irrational. Um, although some people would say a test for competency would be rationality, but what might be rational to Chris Somerville may not be rational to Dr. Atherley. <laughs> and, right. and, 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 you know, neither one of us are not necessarily suffering at this moment from a, a, a mental illness. So what gets in the way of competency or rationality or, or, or lack of insight are two symptoms of schizophrenia, the primary symptoms of schizophrenia, delusions and hallucinations. So a person may have a delusion that, that um, they are uh, invested by God to be a warrior, that they're the second person of Jesus Christ, and then their hallucinations, which would be manifested by voices, would say, you've got to kill the aliens that are taking over the world, and you get on a Greyhound bus, which happened in Manitoba uh, eight or nine years ago, and the person um, uh, beheaded uh, the individual on the Greyhound bus. And that person was found not criminally responsible because they did not realize the consequences or appreciate the consequences of what they did or did. So... um, that, that's an example of yeah. uh, an extreme impairment of decision-making. Right. Marnie, please highlight for us the ways in which impairment of decision-making occurs in what I call the wider world of individual Canadians and their families. Marnie? Well, I think, I mean, in some ways, Chris sort of got at that point, just, you know, just saying that anybody, even, you know, regardless of of whether mental illness is present or not, I mean, people can certainly make poor decisions or they can make decisions that are going to have um, a bad effect on a lot of people. Um, And for me, what I, you know, what I look at is when people are making decisions that are going to violate the law. And in some cases, we look at, we look at those decisions and we as an organization sometimes can, can see, um, we actually take a look at the law itself and think that it's getting in the way and that um, it really isn't a fair law and that, that the person is not trying to 
um, <clears throat> excuse me, the person really should be free to do what they are they are attempting to do. But there there certainly are other cases where you know we we could say to our clients, we think the law is wrong, um, but we have to challenge it, and and we've got to do that first before you violate the law, yeah. uh, unless you want to be the test case, which is always a consideration. Um, and then I think there's I think the other thing that's that's you know, plays into people's decision-making factors. Um, on the other side of it is the the laws that do exist do influence what people choose to do, and usually that's for the best, but occasionally it's not. Sometimes you end up with perverse consequences because of laws that um, that do either violate the Constitution or sometimes are just poor policy, and they end up leading to decisions that, that really aren't the best ones and, and that people wouldn't have made if, if, if it weren't for the laws. So we're always on the lookout for those kind of issues as well because they can, they can also play into the sort of work we do. Right. Chris, please highlight for us what you see as the most challenging of the challenges created for individuals living with schizophrenia and for their families by the impairment of decision-making that occurs in schizophrenia. Chris? Well, probably for the individual living with schizophrenia, it's it's the right or freedom to be sick versus the right to receive treatment. However, for family members, it's a particularly huge challenge because they love their loved one and they want the best for them. And so the questions come, what, when, where, how, why? What do I do as a family member if my son or daughter or loved one lacks reasonable insight or capacity or competency to to make decisions that are in the best interest of the individual as well as public safety? When do I intervene? That is, when do I work through the Mental Health Act for apprehension by the police so that the person can be involuntarily assessed or treated. Where do I do that? Uh, Some people are more rurally or or far north, and access to mental health services and treatments are virtually nil. So what, when, where, and then how? How do I go about doing it? Uh, Families struggle with navigating the mental health circle. Many don't know about the Mental Health Act don't know that they can go to a magistrate, anyone can, and, and appeal that, that there be a, um, a form filled out, basically, uh, by the magistrate or judge for an involuntary assessment. And then there's always the question, why am I doing this? I mean, families wrestle with this, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing, and, and, and will it truly benefit um, my loved one? That benefiting the loved one, that that challenge for families and family caregivers is really a very painful one, isn't it? Because it creates senses of, sense of guilt and of doubt and gets in the way in all kinds of uncomfortable situations. Now, I'm, not for me to sit here and lecture you, Chris, but that, that's my quick reaction to what you've just been saying. Now, money. Please highlight for us what you see as the most challenging of the challenges created by the impairment of decision-making that occurs in the lives of individual Canadians and their families. Marnie? Well, I think that, unfortunately, one of the, one of the 
the biggest problems that we see is because because Canadians and and their families. I mean, by definition, all Canadians are. I think that the growing trend is for them to be able to make fewer and fewer of their own decisions. A lot of those decisions are now being made for them um, through legislation or through regulation, and usually it it's it's. I mean, almost always it's for a good reason i mean the the intentions are good but what happens is that then people just don't don't get very good at making their own decisions they don't learn how to sort of build up the process that it takes to actually weigh all the different factors they they end up being um sort of complacent and expecting that if there's a real problem with a course of action then it will have already been outlawed in and eliminated as a possibility for them by some level of government whether it be just a bureaucracy that that regulates against it or some kind of law going all the way up to criminal law and i think it's a dangerous thing because it it results in a population of canadians who um they just haven't exercised that decision-making muscle as much as they should, and it means that it's it, they're not they're not very good at taking into consideration the risks that any particular course of action could have for them, for their families, for for society as a whole. Um, once you really assign that responsibility to somebody else, and in this case, government or regulators, um, the problem is that you're only as safe as those particular people. Um, can make you, and none, none of them will, uh, will ever be able to know any individual circumstances as well as that particular individual and his or her family. So even in the case of mental health, we, you know, we've done our best with, with the rules and the laws that we have, but, you know, most cases it usually isn't, you, you can look at the general law that we've got, um, and it's not going to be ideally suited to every single person, and usually it is a particular caregiver or a family member who's going to know that person best and be able to judge really what's what's needed in that situation. Right. Now, I want to go back to Chris, please. Um, you were talking about the challenges of what, how, where, those kinds of things. Does the Schizophrenia Society of Canada offer advice and help to people who are searching for the what, how, and where? Chris? Well, as a whole, the Schizophrenia Society of Canada, along with its provincial uh, societies, uh, would advocate that autonomy can be carried to such an extreme that people are suffering needlessly and that the right to treatment um, would be foremost in our minds as opposed to freedom to be sick. Uh, and again, though, that doesn't mean that every family member of the Schizophrenia Society of Canada or the provincial schizophrenia societies would even agree with what I just stated, but that tends and has been the policy uh, of the schizophrenia movement in, in Canada, um, it's a razor's edge subject. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I think it's probably the most controversial, uh, contentious, and sensitive issue within the schizophrenia movement in terms of those questions, you know, what, when, where, how, who, etc. Right. Thank you. Now, once again, it's time for the break, so we'll take that now. This is Dr. Gordon Athley, and my guests are Dr. Chris Somerville and lawyer Marnie Supkoff. You're listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We will be back. 
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any suggestions, questions, or comments you'd like to share with him, please send them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's doc, letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Now back to Schizophrenia Community Radio. Welcome back to our listeners to Schizophrenia Community Radio and Dr. Chris Somerville and lawyer Marnie Sukkoff. Our topic is Towards a National Policy on Autonomy and the Treatment of Schizophrenia. Um, now, both of you, let's talk about responses to the most challenging of the challenges that you've linked with impairment of decision making that occurs not only in schizophrenia, but also in the wider world of individual Canadians and their families. So, Chris, for you first, what do you see as the most effective ways of responding to the challenges which you highlighted, um, created for individuals living with schizophrenia and for their families by the impairment of decision-making that occurs in schizophrenia? Chris? Well, whether it's schizophrenia or Alzheimer's, in which many patients or all patients of Alzheimer's come to a place where they lack insight and their autonomy rights or I prefer to say the word uh, suspended, not lose or, or loss. Um, I, th- I think especially in, with schizophrenia, we have to first of all deal with the stigma and misconceptions. So a lot of people think that a person who lacks insight lacks insight in every compartment of their life every aspect of their life, and that's not true. They can still know who the the prime minister is, uh, know where they live, who their family members are, but they may have a delusion or hallucination that is not insightful, that is, it doesn't match with reality. And so um, dealing with the stigma and misconceptions that, you know, that a person is, and I'm going to use a phrase that I don't generally like to phrase, 
they're not most people with schizophrenia or, or all people with schizophrenia are not totally crazy unquote which I hesitate to use that term secondly that leads me to say that we all need and especially families need to learn how to communicate with our loved ones and I've learned it and I'm not boasting I have a brother with schizophrenia bipolar two suicides in my family and so it took me a long time to realize that I could still communicate with my brothers even though they might have lack of insight in one area or several areas of their life. And then how do you do that? You can always agree with the person's emotions. You don't have to agree with the content, but the emotions that they're feeling under distress of the delusion or hallucination are very real. And then the other thing I would encourage listeners to the program today um, to do is to go to Dr. Xavier Amador, who's a psychologist and founder of the LEAP program. And the LEAP program, based on his book, I'm Not Sick, I Don't Need Help, uh, is a program that helps family members to learn communication skills with their loved ones who perhaps do have impairment of decision uh, making. Finally, I would say you have to remain an advocate. That is, in terms of systemic health, systemic health, help, I'm sorry, help, um, to navigate the mental health system, um, we, we do want our health authorities across Canada to be sensitive to family issues, and so the Mental Health Commission of Canada has produced the Family Caregiver Guidelines, which I would encourage you to go to the Mental Health Commission of Canada website to check that out. Okay. Chris, thanks for that. Um, the program you're talking talking you mentioned is LEAP that's right isn't it LEAP yes yes okay Marnie what do you see as the most effective ways of responding to the challenges created for individual Canadians and their families by impairment of decision making that occurs in the wider world of individual Canadians and their families Marnie well, I think there there are a number of ways of, of dealing with it, and of course it depends on what the cause of the the impairment of decision making is. If if the cause is as as we've talked about in the context of some of the work that we do at at my organization, sometimes the cause is is not even necessarily with the decision maker. Sometimes the cause is is with a law that's getting in the way of of leaving open an option that might be the best option for them or the one that they would normally choose. So in cases like that, sometimes the best thing to do really is an unpleasant one and an expensive one, but it's, it is litigation and going through uh, the courts to say this law is actually blocking potential choices for people that, that would be the best for them and the best for society, and, and the law has no business being there. So that's something that we certainly do sometimes. And I, I mean, another, another thing that is always useful, I think, in any context, um, regardless of the population you're dealing with, is, is simply more information. It's, it's very rare that that you have a situation where more information isn't useful or better. Um, I'm sure there are a few of those, but generally um, making sure that people actually have the knowledge um, of what their rights and liberties are is a really good way to make sure that they know what they're even choosing between. Um, And finally, (coughs) excuse me, I think it's also important to remember that people do have a right to make bad choices. Um, And, you know, 
it's difficult to live with that. And there certainly is a difference between making bad choices and, and, and simply not being in a state where you, you can be counted on to make any choices. And it's a very fine line and it's difficult to discern the difference. But I do think that, that remembering that sometimes living, living with a bad decision is actually one of the, the most important ways to learn something um, and actually allowing people to, to sort of face the consequences of of their action within reason um, can be an important thing to do. Right. Chris, what modifications, if any, would you like to see in the ways autonomy is understood in mental health care services for individuals living with schizophrenia? And if you don't see any need for changes, why do you see no need? Chris? Well, I get rather frustrated when I'm in ethics groups, committees, and uh, we're divided up into groups and we have a case study. And if there's any mention of uh, Alzheimer's or mental illness or schizophrenia, the group automatically assumes incompetency or incapacity, which is totally, totally erroneous because uh, the vast majority of people with even severe mental illnesses do have capacity and, and, and competency. So I would agree with Marnie that not every action or decision or attitude done by an individual with a mental illness is due to the mental illness. Like my brothers with schizophrenia and bipolar decision uh, made bad choices, which they couldn't blame on their mental illness. And I could go into a lot of detail, but we don't have time for that on the program today. Needless to say, I think your viewers, excuse me, your listeners, uh, when looking at mental health acts across Canada, needs to understand that there's there's a dichotomous perspective, a dichotomous perspective, uh, ideological beliefs and assumptions that are inherently divisive. So there are those who lean towards human needs, interpreting mental health or, or ethics, and then those who we. We, we tend to call civil libertarians. So uh, I'll just give a couple examples real quickly. The human needs perspective would say that medications are effective in treating symptoms. Civil libertarians tend to say that medications are harmful and do not work for everyone, which is actually true. Um, the human needs perspective would say denial of treatment is an indication that a person does not know how sick they are. The civil libertarian view would tend to say denial of treatment is a well-informed choice. So I could I could go on with a couple yes. of other points in in terms of tr- trying to discern the difference between human needs perspective and civil libertarian perspective interpreting our mental health acts. The truth of the matter is it depends on the individual case. Right. Um, you have to look at the individual need, the individual circumstances. And in one case, medications will be effective for a person receiving treatment, but I've also met people in which the medications have been harmful and do not work for them. Right. Lani, what modifications, if any, would you like to see in the ways autonomy is understood in the wider world of individual Canadians and their families? And if there aren't any modifications, why aren't there any? Lani? Yeah, I have a long list of modifications. <laughs> um, I think in some ways that's what uh, I feel like uh, we'll never run out. Um, but that's okay. That's that's good. That's what what's uh, why I'm doing the work I do. Um, I mean, most particularly, I I think that in general, it's I, I don't think that Canadians as a whole. Um, 
are enjoying the level of autonomy that, that they should have, or even that our constitution guarantees them. Um, and I think that that's probably most um, con- of, of most concern to me when it comes to freedom of speech and freedom of association. Those are areas where I think we're seeing more and more constriction about um, what people are allowed to say. And a lot of, um, a, a lot of, weighing in on and, and trying to censor speech if it might be um, cause offense uh, to somebody else, which is a well-meaning thing to do, but I think ultimately is is a destructive thing for our society. And and I think that that autonomy really a lot of a lot of anything that you do or say um, is going to reveal your your thoughts and your character. And I mean, and individual autonomy has got to be very closely tied with being able to think. Um, what you want to think. You may not be able to act on it because that may not be appropriate and it may harm someone else. But as far as actually being able to think it, uh, I think that should be sacred ground. And and so that's that's one area where I would like to see um, more protections really of individual autonomy. And if I had my way, that's that would be the, the one that I'd modify first. Right. Now, um, once again, it's time for the short break. So we'll take that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Dr. Chris Somerville and lawyer Marnie Soupkoff. You're listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tired of lackluster results with your marketing? Craving more leads in your business? Tune into the Mojo Marketing Edge with the team behind Mojo Global Marketing, Ira Rosen and Corey Michael Sanchez. Winners of the Marketer of the Year, they will show you how to generate daily leads, build databases of raving fans, and close deals faster than ever before. See what's hot right now and how you can tap into it to generate an endless supply of customers and clients. The Mojo Marketing Edge can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Hospitality News Network for a look inside the travel, hotel, restaurant, and hospitality industry. Host Stephen Nicole and his guests will teach you everything you've wanted to know about this fascinating industry. Who knows? You might just want to change your own career path. At the very least, you might end up being a preferred customer. The Hospitality News Network is broadcast live every Monday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any suggestions, questions, or comments you'd like to share with him, please send them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's doc, letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Now back to Schizophrenia Community Radio. 
Welcome back to our listeners to Schizophrenia Community Radio and Dr. Chris Semerville and lawyer Marnie Sukhoff. Our topic is Towards a National Policy on Autonomy and the Treatment of Schizophrenia. So, both of you, let's discuss laws and systems. Chris, starting with you, please. What do you think changes are necessary in the ways Canada's mental health care systems understand understand autonomy in practice and have you any immediate suggestions Chris after 20 years of working in the mental health field and 20 years of living with family members with mental illness I would say the obvious answer is yes Uh, there are some changes that are necessary in the way Canada's mental health system understands autonomy but the question is is arriving at a consensus you know how do you balance the freedom or right to be sick and the right to treatment um, let me give an example the co-pilot of the German wings flight 9525 he didn't live his life in the shadows he was in and out of treatment and he had a history of depressive symptoms and not being unable to work for periods of time so a lot of people were concerned about his behavior and he often spoke of suicide and even his computer searches, you know, told some of his worrisome story. And yet no one was talking with one another. Uh, family and friends, as well as those involved in his treatment, were all concerned. But however, there was a failure to, to, to face head-on the challenge or the need for safety over the need of confidentiality. And in hindsight, we many of us might say that was a fatal mistake for him and the 149 others killed in in the in the crash. So, um, not an easy question, and certainly not an easy uh, answer to be made. Although there will be family members who would not hesitate at all in terms of calling the police in order to get treatment for their loved one, and then there are other family members that I've met who say they would never uh, invoke uh, the law in in such a way that it it created more discourse and ambivalence in the family system. Right. Just an example. Sorry. Marnie, do you think changes are necessary in the ways laws relevant to autonomy in the wider world of Canadians and their families um, are operating and the way those laws are operating in practice. Any immediate suggestions, Nani? Yeah, I, I do. I, I think that, I mean, health, even healthcare, if, if you look at healthcare, if, even beyond mental health, um, including every variety of healthcare, we, we right now have, have a situation where um, people, if people, People, people are not necessarily free to do something like buy, buy health insurance, private health insurance, if that's something that they want to do. Um, if they want to seek out a particular treatment, they're not necessarily able to. If it's, if it's considered experimental, then their province might say, well, that's not the, the treatment you're allowed to take. Um, so I actually think that our, you know, our healthcare system, you know, again, is, it's, it's there so that everybody can have access to healthcare, which is an extremely important and good thing. 
thing. But unfortunately, we've also integrated into that some rules that, that force people to remain in a certain system and not allow them to also venture beyond it, if that makes sense for them. So that's one area. And I mean, I see, I, I, I feel similarly about education, where Again, the fact that we have access to education for everybody is extremely important, um, but we don't allow people the autonomy to you know, choose which school they're going to go to or which one would be best for them for whatever their particular needs are. Um, we usually have people who are sort of, um, you're kind of tied up by the real estate that, that your parents have, have inherited or bought or the apartment they're renting. So I think really in all, all senses, um, especially in areas where you do have government committing a certain amount of money to give to people to make sure they get certain things, whether it's health or education, I think in those kind of situations, the very best way to ensure autonomy would be to really like park that money with the individual and allow that individual to then make the choices about how to use it. Choose which doctor, um, choose which procedure, choose which system, choose which school, choose whether they want their child at a sports school or a school for, for children with, you know, particular interests. Um, always, always, always the, the, the individual and the family um, are going to have a better idea of what's going to work for them than any government bureaucrat. Right. Chris, could mental health care systems benefit from some collaboration with experts in laws and policies relevant to autonomy? And again, have you any immediate suggestions? Chris? We have no other choice other than to collaborate. Um, it has been said that no other medical specialty is so closely connected to the legal system as psychiatry. And it is true. And it's a landmine, and it's, as I've said earlier, razor's edge, so to speak. Um, but there is the need uh, to work with ethics committees, uh, law uh, groups representing uh, law or lawyers, um, to try to come to a more civil discourse about these issues. Uh, at one end, you have those who emphasize the human needs of individuals, and who would say that people who are treated involuntarily will realize they are ill and seek treatment voluntarily in the future. And then on the other side, you have those who are sometimes called civil libertarians who would say, well, people who are treated involuntarily will respond negatively to coercion and avoid treatment in the future. The reality is that both propositions are true. I've met people who are on both sides of that equation who have lived experience of schizophrenia. So we will have to continue this discourse, this, dis right. this discussion, and uh, hope. I don't know that we'll ever finalize uh, an answer that's going to be satisfactory to everybody, but uh, there's a tendency within the a strong tendency within the schizophrenia movement to think that we've gone too far to the left on civil libertarian views and not, I mean, of course, in North America, we, we pride ourselves <laughs> on laws such as autonomy, and I do too, you know, as an individual, as a family member. Uh, but there are societies in which family, you know, the family is, 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 is viewed as a whole and not as an individual. Right. I'm going to stop you there, Chris. I wish I didn't have to, but we're running out of time, and I just want to put the, the self-same question to Marnie. What about 
mental health care systems benefiting from some collaboration with experts in laws and policies relevant to autonomy and how do you money have any immediate suggestions money I I don't feel I, I don't have immediate suggestions because in a way I feel that I'm not I, I sort of feel not qualified to make those but in, on the other hand maybe that's part of the problem <laughs> because um, I do think it's important I mean I think those kinds of collaborations are important I mean Chris Chris implied they're perhaps inevitable um, you know given given how many intersections there are with something like mental health uh, and law. Um, and and just generally, usually there's there's a certain amount of fresh thinking that you can get from from getting two different uh, disciplines together. Pe- people who are used to looking at an issue from one one particular side. Just even just hearing the challenges and and things that that bother the other side sometimes is is enough to put it into a whole new light. Um, so exactly how that collaboration could happen, I'm not sure, but it's hard to, it's hard to imagine it would be anything but a good thing um, and that it, that it might not lead to some, some more creative ideas about how to, how to handle those situations that Chris talked about where, where it's just a really, really tough decision and probably there's not going to be a perfect answer that can please everybody. But the more, the more you, you know that you've sort of taken into consideration all the different sides, or at the very least many different sides, then I think the better off you are um, and the more secure you'll feel with whatever that decision ends up being. Right. Very fair comments. Um, more collaboration sounds as though it's needed and... Maybe we can have another discussion about this uh, at a later date. But unfortunately, we've come to the end of this fascinating and important episode. So I want to say thank you to Chris and to Marnie for the discussion you've had to clear up many things and also to explain the real challenges lying behind so many important questions. So to you both, all success to you in your important work. I want to say thank you to our listeners and for comments by listeners or to ask questions from listeners, here's the email address to use, docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's me. Please email me if on anything. And also, please join us for our next episode, which is using radio to provide voice for the schizophrenia community. So, let's talk then. Thank you again for joining us for Schizophrenia Community Radio with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Thank you for supporting Schizophrenia Community Radio. We hope you too have gained strength. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 